and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast. Coming to you from O3C Games, we are two men. First man, Jonathan Dunn. That's me. And I'm joined by second man, Chris Dow. Red sky at night, Turkish delight. And we are chatting about video games. Announcement! Announcement! Hello there. A couple of quick announcements before we dive into our next episode, which also includes a whopping announcement of itself. But first, please do sign up to our newsletter over on our website, o3c.games. Fantastic weekly content straight to your inbox, including updates on what we're playing, thoughts of the week, top 10 lists, blasts from the pasts, and a pet of the week. Also, feel free to submit your own top 10 game list or your pet to feature in the newsletter by reaching out on social media at O3C Games or, announcement number two, join us in the O3C Discord server. We've opened the gates to all and you can click the join link on the O3C.Games website too and there's tons of lovely, kind and hilarious chat going on in there from our gaming activity, game-specific channels for Zelda, Pokemon, Final Fantasy, film and TV chat, discussion channels for the future of the podcast, loads of cracking stuff. And final, mini-announcement three, is that we do still have a Patreon for those of you who would like to support the podcast in a financial way, which would be enormously helpful and very much appreciated. (laughs) Even if it's only a few quid every month, it will go a long, long way to helping the show keep going. Patreon.com slash O3C Games, and you can pledge a little amount there and receive a big, wet, sloppy hug from us both. In a virtual sense, of course. Game on! And we're back in episode two of season six and what better time and place to announce an actual format for the podcast going forward we are very excited to announce what structure the show is going to take for the foreseeable even if it means the numbers of the episodes won't correctly align like i really want them to (laughs) figure that we can't just be like yeah season six was two episodes uh season seven uh (laughs) starting next next month i am gonna have to figure that out though because it will wind me up There'll be something. There'll be something. Why not? So, starting from next month, me and Chris will be embarking on an epic voyage to circumnavigate the Earth by way of sampling the gaming output of all the wonderful countries. That's right. (laughs) Around the world in 80 games. Each month we'll be visiting a new country, not literally, I mean, that I'd love to, but we could. We'll need more, need more Patreon donations to do that. Yeah. And we will be sampling a couple of games that developers from that country have created. It's going to be a great chance to showcase the incredible variety of cultures and minds that are contributing to the gaming industry. And I absolutely can't wait to travel off the beaten track to find the most interesting games to talk about from all around the world. We've talked up quite thoroughly and got balls deep into our research to craft the most tantalizing international tasting menu of games and (laughs) now is a great time to get in touch with us if you've got any specific countries that you want us to visit or games that you want to see us cover it's going to be amazing and of course we'll also be continuing to cover the games that we've been playing in between our jet setting odyssey destinations i can't wait as a little teaser our first destination next month is going to be a country that is very close to my heart and indeed very close to my home as we'll be calling by my literal motherland Denmark Denmark uh <laughs> I don't even know what that was no. Polish 
Matt, why not? Look out, Danes. We're coming. So, on to the episode proper. And hello, Chris. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Pretty good. I'm pretty ready to talk about some games. What have you played in the last month? It's been a month, Chris. It's been a month. You must have played loads of shit. (laughs) Always, always the case. (laughs) Quite literally always the case. Something that's not shit. I beat Vampire Survivors. Just in time for a new bit of DLC to drop. Yeah, and yeah your it's percentage. relentless, isn't it? It's relentless. <laughs> but it took about 60 or so hours, I think, to finish yeah. it. I'm doing, like, finishes in big air quotes because, for now at least, as you mentioned, there's a big update on the way that was literally teased not very long ago. <laughs> a few days past. Yeah. <laughs> but now I've beaten every stage at least once with one character. I've unlocked and purchased every playable character. I've filled the entire collection, the entire bestiary. I've worked through all of the nearly 200 unlocks or achievements, depending on which platform you're on as to what they're called. And I've puzzled through every secret. So there's essentially nothing left to do. I was genuinely a little tempted to try and beat every stage with every character. But after doing some napkin maths, that's what, like another 150 hours at least on my playtime. And I thought for my own sanity, I'd just, I'd leave it be for now. I'd just say, that's fine. Put it to one side. If you've got 150 hours spare, play Tears of the Kingdom, you fucking prick. <laughs> I think Vampire Survivors would absolutely enter my top 100. Yeah. The more I played it, the more sure and confident I felt it would be in there. I'm not sure where exactly. I don't know what it would necessarily displace. Depending on the day, I might argue that I probably enjoy it more than, say, Forager, which made the cut during the addendum season. And I think I enjoy Vampire Survivors for at least some of the same reasons. Like, it does have moments where it feels mm. that kind of you know, rush across the map, you're just hoovering stuff up. So maybe Forager as the displaced er would become the newly displaced said. <laughs> With Vampire Survivors then sitting somewhere around that kind of low 50s, high 40s place. It doesn't matter for now, outside of at least acknowledging that I think this game is a towering, momentous achievement. But if we ever do go back and kind of update and revise the lists, it oh, will be we'll there do somewhere. That. We'll yeah, do that in our sure. end of year special. Gives us a chance to go back over oh, the game that's we played this year. That's a good idea. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? I just can't wait to play more of it as the content keeps being trickle fed. Mm. You know, but when I picked it up, it was as it is. Nothing has kind of been added outside of just like bug fixes in the time I was playing. Yeah. But they're just on it. Ponko were just on it. You know, the, the developer said in, in a Reddit Ask Me Anything session the other day that they had a content map through to the end of 2024 with a mixture of paid stuff and free updates and expansions and everything else. And I'm just really excited for this to become a game I get to spend like an extra few hours with every few months for the foreseeable future. Kind of, you know, seasonal gameplay, but without being tied to kind of a very specific window, like say the Diablo stuff you mentioned the other week. Oh yeah. Although I didn't have the oomph to play every character to 100%, I was still keen to play this style of game. I wanted more of it. It really was doing something for me. And so I started digging through steam for other comparable experiences and i played a few for a few hours each and i was just going to give a few initial thoughts on some of those games brotato you already mentioned it last episode i mentioned it quite a long time back it's just vampire survivors but with a bit more twin stick shooter in it i'd say and Mm. it's got that kind of nice chunky flash aesthetic that makes you feel if you squint that you could be playing the initial release of Binding of Isaac or something from the Bayamoth, like Alien Hominid. It's got that kind oh, of yeah. look. It's decent, but it didn't quite scratch the particular itch I had fresh off the back of Vampire Survivors. A different game called Army of Ruin. This is basically just Vampire Survivors, but with 3D models. Oh. And it's got a bit of the aesthetic of Magicka, if you ever played that game. 
It's perfectly serviceable. It's very performant. It's developed by Milkstone, who were legends back in the Xbox Live Indie Games channel days. And they've always been good at producing games that riff very heavily on whatever is popular. That is kind of their MO. And so their foray into this kind of bullet heaven genre did not surprise me at all. You know, if you look across their catalogue, they've made a game called White Noise, which is just their stab at the slender horror formula when that was massive. They made Little Racers Street, which is just Micro Machines. Back on the Xbox, they made Sushi Castle, which was just Binding of Isaac. More recently, they had a game called Pharaonic, as in Pharaonic, that's just attempting to be a 2D Dark Souls. You know, you get the picture. Army of Ruin didn't grab me in the first hour or so, though, because it was just all a bit too nondescript. Yeah. And I think for as weird and blocky and kind of uncooked as Vampire Survivors looked sometimes it had a real style to it in that and this is kind of missing something that sets it apart a game that I would probably recommend as the final one is called Goobies that's uh, boobies with a G if you want to be crass yeah (laughs) (laughs) autocorrect got the better of me and given me a (laughs) lovely treat it came up on my recommendations on steam and to be honest i was sold mainly on the fact that it has blobby characters and enemies that look like they've hopped out of loco roco on the psp or something like that and more than any of that one of the playable characters that was shown in one of the screenshots is called Bingus Bongus. And <laughs> that's, that's very much your, your sense of humour there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, me and Georgia have been using Bing Bong as a spoken shorthand for at least a hundred different things for a long time now. Yeah. Like, we refer to babies as Bing Bongs. We refer to, you know, people that might have frustrated us in the day as being just some old Bing Bong. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, I guess that game's for me. <laughs> I guess that's number one with a bullet. <laughs> I like it. Like It is too slow. Movement doesn't feel snappy enough. And I'm hoping as I start picking up a few upgrades, it's going to build my character enough to kind of feel a bit better. Because mm-hmm. that's my only real criticism. Like I like the look, I like the feel. It's just, it's not quick enough. And the other thing that's maybe different from Vampire Survivors is that it's more stage and boss led. So you kind of, fight for a certain point you beat a big boss and then you're warped to a completely new location so it's not kind of the the endless unfurling of like the half an hour stages on vampire survivors but i do like it and it changes the rhythm enough to be interesting whilst not being exactly the same so army of ruin i think was a bit too identikit goobies i think is different enough that i'm quite enjoying just exploring it getting a feel for kind of what the progression is going to be like and Working out, basically, if I want to spend 60 hours on this or not. (laughs) Sure. I would say, give it a look. It's only a few quid, as all these games are. And that seems to be the model that works for this kind of genre. Spend three quid and hope you sell 30 million copies. So the main game that's taken up most of my time in this last month is a game that totally took me by surprise. I'd never even heard of it when friend and occasional co-host of the show, Casper, recommended it to me. I was in the middle of playing Blasphemous 2 when he said he'd been playing... This other Metroidvania called Eterna Noctis, a game from Spanish studio Eternum Games. Debut game, I think. The commentary I was getting from Casper whilst he was playing it just continued to grow in positivity and what I thought was hyperbole. (laughs) This is really good. I think you'll like this. This game is great. It's incredibly hard. This might be the hardest game I've ever played. This is one of the best Metroidvanias I've ever played. This is the hardest game I've ever played. Honestly, this is a top three Metroidvania. You have to play this. I can't believe how hard this game is. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so satisfying to pull this off. Fucking hell, I love it. Fuck me, you need to play it. Fucking play it, you fucking fuck. 
<laughs> None of that's verbatim, but but pretty close. Could be. Could be. So inevitably, it was my first port of call after I wrapped Blasphemous 2, and I decided to give it a quick test run on the Steam Deck because I had it in my library, and apparently it ran really well. And it absolutely did run really well, and I love to play things in handheld if I can, because I find that I just managed to get more game time in if I'm able to pick it up and put it down at will. But after playing it for a little bit, I realised I was in for a bit of a treat, and I decided to get a copy on the PS5. Uh, because I wanted to see it in all its high-resolution glory. And I'm so glad that I plumped for the full console experience for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the game does look absolutely stunning. It's got a, a really lovely aesthetic that's somewhere between Hollow Knight and the Castlevania anime. Ooh. It's got stunning backgrounds and environments, and the animations and sprite work are really beautifully drawn. It's, it's lovely stuff. And whilst the performance on the Steam Deck was just as silky smooth, you know, as it is on PS5, because of the lower resolution screen on the Steam Deck, there was a lot of beautiful details that, you know, you just didn't get. Yeah. And when a game is this rich in detail, you really want to experience as much of it as possible. The second reason why I'm glad I I played it on PS5 is down to the controller. And I don't really feel... Like the DualSense controller gets enough praise because a lot of the coverage you read about the DualSense is on its gimmicks, like its haptic feedback and its adaptive triggers, which aren't, you know, very cool when used right. But it was just the level of control and the fluidity of the control sticks is actually quite superior to a lot of other controllers. And whilst like the controls on the Steam Deck are still extraordinarily good and like good enough for 99% of games, this game, I mean, it really is as challenging as the chatter on the cyber streets suggests and <laughs> on that internet. And um, you'll be needing like as full a grasp of those controls as you can possibly get to navigate all of its platforming challenges and nuanced boss fights. The DualSense just... I've got a whole new appreciation for it. It's a lovely, lovely controller. Uh, I think it might even be my favourite controller. Ooh. Just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. That's a statement. But the really nice thing with the challenging level of this game is you can actually choose between two difficulty options and you can switch at will. You have the Noctis mode, which is the developer's intended mode, also known as hard mode for those that want the complete challenging experience. But there's also like a lighter normal mode which not only reduces damage taken and i think increases damage dealt makes you know the enemies and bosses easier to tackle but it also then adds in just lots of extra little platforms around the place just to help you on like the really challenging platforming sections and it's a nice addition and it's obviously a lot more thought out than just dialing the damage up and down you know they've considered how to make all of the aspects of the game you know a little more welcoming However, I mean, I was determined to play it on the intended mode because whilst like I don't feel the need to prove my skills in the same way that maybe I used to, <laughs> I absolutely love like those intricate platforming challenges that you see in games like Celeste or Super Meat Boy. And I just wanted to get the full satisfaction from those. So I did manage to play the entire game without switching the difficulty mode. Well done. Thank you. Talking about the game itself. It wears its influences on its sleeves quite proudly. It's definitely heavily inspired by Hollow Knight with its similar sort of gloomy aesthetic, uh, the sort of medallion-based ability system to change your strategic setup depending on what obstacle you're trying to overcome. 
in this game it's gems that you you find and collect and then you can equip them to augment certain abilities and mechanics and like all the best metroidvanias it's got this sprawling interconnected world it's obviously got elements of dark souls in there because every game does you do drop all of your currency and your XP when you die, and then you have to sort of, you know, go and get it back again if you want it. Yeah. Although it's a bit more forgiving on that front because you have as many chances as you need to get it back. Uh, it's not just you do a death run. You've got one chance. If you don't get it back, it's lost. And also there's a way of buying your soul back if you are really, really stuck. And it pays homage to Castlevania a lot more than most Metroidvania games. Lots of gothic architecture and environments to explore and it's sort of melee-focused combat. And then it's platforming sections. Like I said, it owes a lot to games like Celeste, Super Meat Boy and certainly like the harder sections of Hollow Knight or Ori and the Blind Forest. But then this game has got so many original things going for it as well and the fact that it's all wrapped up in one spectacular package means that it really does give you like the ultimate Metroidvania experience. It's like a best-of but then also elevating all of that content to a whole new level because it does all of those things as good, if not better, than all other Metroidvanias. Yeah. There is this one main like original mechanic that I hadn't really sort of experienced in, in another game before, and it's teleportation arrows, I guess. So you can fire an arrow somewhere and then teleport to where it is. But you have to be precise and quick because... Its range is limited, uh, your timing on it is limited. There's a couple of gems you can equip to help you time these a bit more easily. But when you start to incorporate the teleportation with like your dashing and double jumps, and then you start to weave that into the platforming and the combat, it's just absolutely unreal. Like you feel like a total god of gaming when you pull it all off. And <laughs> the game is hard, like don't get me wrong, it, it's really pushing you to your limits of what's hard and, and what's unfair, but it it never is unfair. And I actually, and this is this is going to be controversial to those with opinions on the game. I actually think the game's quite generous with its checkpoints. I don't think it's asking you to do anything that is like overtly punishing or like hard yeah. for the sake of hard or anything like that. Checkpoints are exactly where you'd want them to be. On like the PS5, the load times are near instant. So you don't get that frustrated. Even if you spend like half an hour trying to get through like one platforming section... It's not frustrating because you're learning every time. You're trying it slightly different. You know, you're getting it wrong, but you know why. And you can reload and try again and try again. I think it's one of the most problematic elements of indie game development is not having like a large pool of testing and QA to get the balance yeah. of a game perfectly right. But yeah. I'm really glad that the devs of Eternal Noctis stuck to their guns by including the intended game design as well as an easier version to choose from rather than compromising between the two modes and yeah there's people complaining online that the game is too hard but just fuck off you know beating an incredibly hard game is amazingly satisfying and obviously hard is a relative term but if the game is too hard for you on the intended difficulty play it on the easier one if it's still too hard play a different game like obviously accessibility is incredibly important and it is fantastic to see this side of gaming come on leaps and bounds in recent years but if you try and make a game to please every type of gamer, you're just going to be baking an incredibly boring beige compromised pie with <laughs> shit gravy. <laughs> I think one of the places where this really, really applies these days is if you look at kind of the humongous prestige AAA games. So if you take something like I don't know, The Last of Us, say, for an example, as a series, that really doubled down with kind of more accessibility 
in its second entry, as far as I remember from you saying and, and things like that. I think so, yeah. But for a game like that, most people are playing it because they want to see a big prestige story. You know, it's yeah. in the same way you'd watch like HBO's, well, The Last of Us, but HBO's something, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing is the experience people are after. And I think it makes sense in those kind of games to say, okay, we've got this real sliding scale. If you're just in it to watch this story, if you just want to see, oh, look at the graphics, look at the motion capture, look at all that sort of stuff, dial it right down. You're basically just watching it almost doing like telltale inputs on dialogue yeah. kind of thing. But if you're playing quite niche specific games that it's like, this is meant to be a challenging platform game. This is meant to be a very specific rhythm game or stuff like that. As soon mm. as you start to water that down too much, because it's so concept driven rather than story driven i think you can really easily lose something so it's probably quite a battle to get the accessibility right in a way that says no we want people to play this and enjoy it but equally there is a vision for what we wanted to create yeah you know it's you don't want to change it so much that like the genre is falling off it you know the genre is just sliding off the sides because now it's not a hardcore metroidvania instead it becomes you know a knockabout mario game it's a different sort of thing you don't want that pie to fall apart and slop all over your lap do you you don't you don't no you you want a nice clean lap <laughs> exactly a turn noctis is an excellent slice of pie <laughs> <laughs> if you check out our socials you can see a few clips of me beating some of the harder sections of the game but i also include all of my failed attempts on those as well so you can Ooh. see just how long it took to get it right but it's, it's just so so good it's so good Apparently the Switch port is a bit shit, which is a real shame, uh, because this game would look incredible on the OLED screen. But, like I said, you definitely benefit from having the highest fidelity of control and performance that you can get in order to properly enjoy this game. The other thing about like not having access to an extensive testing process is that you do run the risk of launching a game that's not quite polished enough. And apparently that's what happened with this game. It's a couple of years old now. And since then, the devs have addressed all of the issues and also added some free DLC to expand the game even further. But it it does explain why I'd never heard of this game and also why no one online seems to be playing it or talking about it, which it baffles me because in its current state, it is well up there with Hollow Knight and Ori and the Blind Forest as one of the best Metroidvanias I've ever played. And this game deserves an audience and it deserves all the praise that anyone can throw at it because it's extraordinary. The final thing I will champion about this game, aside from the incredible art direction, amazing performance, insanely brilliant puzzling, enemy design, boss design, map design, character and story writing and the deepest of succulent lore, is the sheer quality of its music. And this is another reason why I'm so glad I played it on PS5 because I do tend to play games on my Steam Deck or my Switch with the sound turned down a bit because, you know, I'll be playing whilst doing something else usually. But the music in this game is outstanding. It's got no right. Like, you've got beautifully moody pieces of ambient stuff providing the perfect backdrop for the gloomy settings in the game. You've got more techno electronic stuff for the more high-tech environments. And then by the time you get to, like, the final area... You've got genuine virtuosic piano work that would make Rick Wakeman blush. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Like, this team, I tell you, they really are something quite special. They've made a masterpiece here. And their follow-up to this game, which is also out now, is a roguelite set in the same world to expand the lore even further. 
and I believe it's built on the same engine as well, so it's going to feel quite similar, and it will just take this incredible framework into an entirely new context, and I know that I'll lose dozens of hours into that. If anyone heard of Eterna Noctis and its rough launch and decided to steer clear, or you've just never heard of it at all, I really would encourage you to play it if you have the interest in platforming games or Metroidvanias. It's unbelievable. It's a dead cert for a place very high up on my top 100 list, that's for Ooh. sure. Spicy. Do you know another game that has really, really good music? Magic Carpet. <laughs> it may well do. I, I don't know much about the bullfrog-helmed Magic Carpet. That sounds very much any game where we've gone to the desert. Pretty much, yeah. That is the theme. That is the theme from Magic Carpet. I believe you. I believe. It was one of the 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 first things I ever learned how to play on the piano. That's a real like Jonathan Dunn story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You start with the classics and then you move on to Mary Had a Little Lamb. For sure. Anyway, music. Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins on the Game Boy. Has that got good music? It does, because it's written by uh, Kazumi Tataka of Animal Crossing fame. There we go. And you can really hear it if you go back to it now. But I've been playing this again via emulation, not on a Game Boy, not on an analogue pocket or anything nice like that. When I got my actual Game Boy way back when I was a child, it came with Worms that I've mentioned before. It came with Super Mario Land and Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. And this game steps up the limited gameplay and aesthetic design of the original Mario Land in almost every conceivable way. And I loved it as a kid. And it genuinely does feel like the little brother of Super Mario World, which would have been its Mm. contemporary on the SNES. A few years back, an enterprising team of ROM hackers decided to try and colorize Mario Land 2 to present like a DX version of the title, a la Link's Awakening on the Game Boy Color. Mm. After a few revisions to fix bugs and update a few things, not only is this game now gorgeously updated to use a full color palette it also lets you select luigi in any stage with physics properly differentiated from mario oh, fun and it corrects many of the small bugs and slowdown of the original release as well because it's using the slightly better hardware of the game boy color and it really is just the full package it's a lovely thing that fans have made for fun for free playing this game i was using the retro achievements site to track my progress and i thought okay i'll try and beat this properly 100% for the first time in my life and their achievement list is really nicely made it's got all sorts of just regular achievements for beating stages and bosses and collecting certain amounts of lives and things like that but it also has some incredibly tough speed running achievements on certain levels which were really fun to go for because they properly required like near pixel perfect precision you were left with like microseconds on the clock if you did it properly and it also had a suite of boss achievements that meant you had to beat each end of world enemy without taking a single hit as small Mario. And most of these weren't too bad. Like, it's not a hard game overall. But the final stage, that's the gauntlet that leads to the battle with Wario, was already pretty tough. I remember playing this game through, again, as an adult, when I was doing my teacher training and wanting to throw my Game Boy SP at the wall. But having no margin for error literally took me three evenings worth of play. (laughs) And I would guess about 150 attempts. Yeah, Like, it was really hard. On one failed attempt, I think Georgia was sat next to me watching something on TV. I made it to the third and final phase of the Wario battle, had just one hit to go, and then I fluffed a jump and just like immediately fell into my own lap, just despairing on the sofa. And unsure of what I was even playing, I think Georgia just put a hand on my back like I'd just been told of a bereavement. <laughs> like, it was very nice. It's very sweet. 
it's just it's so tough and I did manage it eventually and it's become one of those games I'm actually quite proud to have kind of beaten and licked properly because it was one of my Game Boy favorites I really loved it as a kid and it's quite formative as well being that it was there day one as I picked up my yellow four AA battery stuffed handheld <laughs> and what I love more than anything though and the reason I'm kind of highlighting this the updated ROM is just such a love letter to the original two and these sort of fan projects I've tried to kind of big them up whenever I can since we've been doing this show I just love the effort that goes into them for no gain you know it's just such a nice thing that people go yeah I love this game I think others love it too and I can make it better and so I will <laughs> and that's really lovely and I, I would recommend anyone who has fond memories of playing it in pea green monochrome to give it a go because it's like properly transformative it's one of those ones that suddenly you're just like did nintendo make this and it could easily just appear on switch online and you wouldn't bat an eyelid yeah so yeah give it a go it's it's a lovely game next game i've played is a roguelite from the team that made eterna noctis (laughs) and i've lost dozens of hours into it since finishing eterna noctis it's called summum eterna summum summum it's a hummus backwards (laughs) so no, it's not. Oh, Almost is. It's, it's one letter shy of it. Yeah, mummus. Mummus. <laughs> mummus. <laughs> Can I just you on some pittles and some mummus? <laughs> I was a little hesitant to pick the game up straight away because of the slightly rough launch of Eterna Noctis, but some of Eterna is fairly new, and I just wanted to make sure that you know if it was a little patchy in places at launch, that those patchy patches could have been you know patched out but I, I really wanted to try it and it's only about 15 quid or something on steam so i decided to buy it on there give it a whirl on the steam deck it's currently got a question mark over its steam deck compatibility but i'm very happy to say that it runs absolutely brilliantly straight yeah. out of the box yeah no performance issues whatsoever the screen does feel like it's a little full with all of the different elements of the hud that you need to see and i did wonder whether or not playing it on the ps5 would be a better fit but actually it's all in relative size, like wherever you play it. I thought you might, you know, see more of the stage or or more of the screen and the hard elements would be a bit smaller and unintrusive, but it's literally just exactly the same sort of ratio. So I've stuck with playing it on the Steam Deck because a roguelite, even more than any other type of game, just needs the pickup and playability to really be able to get its hooks into me. As an aside, it's been really nice to be on the Eternum Games Discord server to talk about some of Materna because it's a great space to feed back to the devs. So I've been able to join with people to ask for HUD size customization or a 16 by 10 aspect ratio for the Steam Deck and other little tweaks that, you know, might be nice to see added into the game in the future to develop the experience even more. I'm in a few Discord servers like this for exactly that reason. And I really enjoy being able to give suggestions and feedback on games, which is like a lot more constructive than just going online to complain about the elements you don't like. And I think it's also a good reminder being in these spaces that the people making these games are people and often not that many people either. So it's great to give them, you know, support because at the end of the day, like their aims are the same as yours, which is to have the best gaming experience possible. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what sort of feedback they take on board. And if we do get HUD customization and uh, a new aspect ratio option, I'm going to feel like they owe me some money for that. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll hope my name appears in the credits. <laughs> Before I continue, quickly, I'm using the term roguelite with a T instead of roguelike. 
with a K because this game has permanent upgrades rather than the classic roguelike, which sees you start from the same level of scratch every time. Yeah. I didn't know the difference until fairly recently, to be honest. So I, I enjoy throwing that knowledge around willy nilly. I like to educate. <laughs> I like to educate. So uh, the game. I didn't, I didn't really know exactly what to expect going into the game, uh, but I, I think I, I unfairly went in expecting exactly the same experience I just had in Eterna Noctis, yeah. but in a roguelite setting. Obviously, with levels and stages being randomly generated, you're not going to get the same specificity of design that you get in a perfectly crafted, tight platforming game. The platforming is still really good fun, and there are some very challenging platforming sections in certain rooms to get like extra special chests of treasure the combat is inevitably going to be a little less precise because you're doing a lot more of it and you need to be covering areas and hordes of enemies at speed rather than carefully considering how to take them on one at a time and after i got used to what this game was doing rather than focusing on what it was not doing from a totally different game I started to really enjoy myself. Yeah. Like, it's another game that wears its influences on its sleeves. It's definitely got a lot more of uh, like the Castlevania vibe about it, especially with the slightly different aesthetic design that's a bit more drawn and anime styled. And the general vampire castles that you can find also feel quite Castlevania-y. But in terms of like its rogue influences, it borrows from Dead Cells in its sort of hybrid Metroidvania roguelike design and like the biome boss structure. And it's also cribbing a lot from Hades in terms of how it's developing its narrative, its characters and the general lore of this world. And the lore of this world, I mean, it's kind of in that respect that this is becoming just an even more sumptuous experience because I've just played Eterna Noctis. And it's so lovely to see all of like the overlaps in characters and enemies and locations and really just sort of revel in how deep the realization of this world is i love it it's a wonderful world and it's a, a wonderful mythos they've created with this thing the thing that's probably impressed me the most of this game so far is just how incredibly deep its roguelike systems are yeah it's phenomenally deep i mean you can obviously just sort of enjoy it on a run-by-run basis for the good action and design and music and everything but the different elements at play all working sort of in tandem together and with the ability to upgrade and customise almost every single aspect as well, it's truly staggering. It's difficult to even give like a brief overview, especially without making it sound totally unfathomable to newcomers. <laughs> but it's very good in the way that it sort of incrementally introduces you to the different elements of the game from like the different weapons and upgrades and the equipment side of things um, to like the chaos manipulators and arcane tarot card randomizers and... This genius way it sort of presents the randomized seeds for the different runs. Because, like, for those that don't know the term, a random seed is basically just a randomly generated number that is then assigned to an entire structure of, like, a randomly generated run of, like, a roguelike. So, like, in Binding of Isaac, you can have, like, specific seeds. If you watch somebody do a run on the internet, you can see what the seed of that randomly generated run is. You put that in your game, you'll play the same one. But in this game, they're taking it quite literally and you actually have physical seeds growing from the world tree that you pick and you can manipulate and forge them to give you exactly the conditions you want for your run. Ooh. Instead of it just being a random number, it's wonderful. It's quite refreshing and like 
with like the permanent upgrades, all of the different types of collectibles and currency that you'll accrue, there's always something to do between runs, something different to aim for in your next run. And yeah, it's great. Like, it feels like Dead Cells felt when I first started playing that, uh, yeah. which was a fairly sort of, now it looks like a bare bones of a game when it started. And I can see the potential for expanding this game even further with more biomes and bosses and variables and yeah it's exciting to be there like it feels like at the start of that i mean it's already had like a few updates since it's come out that i've had to get my head around but yeah i'm just i'm so excited for this company because i feel like they're doing brilliant work they're showing signs of continuing that like they've announced content updates for some on materna and there's also a full sequel to Eterna Noctis due out next year. And I think they're a really special company and I hope they continue to nail it. And also, like, I'd love to see them branch out to other genres as well. Like if they've done like a Metroidvania and a roguelite, they could easily explore other genres, but set in this same world, like a full on JRPG delving even deeper into this lore, you know, like the way that. Like, image and form have done with like the steam world mm. games yeah I've, i think they've got the potential to just keep developing this world and this aesthetic and and this mythos and I, i'm i'm here for it i'm absolutely here for it kart racer why not <laughs> why not you know yeah, yeah yeah i was wondering if you could come up with a quick pun there <laughs> yeah I was, trying, I was trying i was trying to i was trying my latin isn't good enough to think no. of, the, of the right sort of name for it all i could think of was uh eternum zoom zoom <laughs> That's best I got. It's not up there with your best. <laughs> it's not my best work, is it? Well, it's nice to hear about games that I've never heard of, because both that you've presented today in this world are ones that are just completely alien to me. Mm. And I, I often say, like, it's not that I've played every game in the world, sort of thing. But usually, you mention something, and it's like, oh, I think I I saw that on something, or I, I saw it on a feed, or someone was talking about it. But no, they they are new to me outside of you and Casper talking about them. So. Sounds good. Do you want a game that I'm sure you hadn't heard of prior to me bringing it up? Laser Cat. Laser Cat. Laser Cat. Never heard of it. Laser Cat. My Steam library these days is is so large and unwieldy. I genuinely don't know what I own anymore. I'm so rich. <laughs> it's not even that. It's been. I was hoarding like humble bundles of games for ten yeah. years before I had a laptop that could play them. I really did speculate to accumulate sort of thing. (laughs) And now I pick up the Steam Deck and it's like, I can't get through these if I'm alive to 500 years old. But anyway, when I don't know what to play, sometimes I just type esoteric words into the search bar on the Steam Deck just to see what comes up. It's like a quick blast of curation. So this week I was sat with Georgia. I searched cat and I was reminded of Laser Cat, a game that I had back on the Xbox 360. I've mentioned it already today. The xbox live indie games channel had loads of shit on it but also a handful of really cool stuff by kind of just like one or two people teams and laser cat is a simple non-linear platform adventure in the style of like zx spectrum games like jet set willy basically there's over 100 rooms all interconnected in a grid layout you're making your way around to collect 30 keys that will then let you face off against the final boss and it's all very simple every room is a self-contained little platforming challenge It's not tough, but it is nicely polished. It's nicely brisk as well. Like I beat the whole game start to finish in about two hours. And that's 100%. There's all the keys all there. There's lots of sort of quirky British humour in its room names. All fun. And amusingly, every key you collect is also appended to a simple multiple choice quiz question, which can range from general knowledge to uh, 
just nonsense, <laughs> which is just a, a sort of twee way to extend it. So some of them will be like, which of these is not one of Saturn's moons? And then you're like, oh, I sort of remember that from GCSE science. And then other ones will just be something that does not have an answer outside of just trial and error. Because it's like, what is Laser Cat's favourite food? Why is a raven like a writing desk? Yeah, that kind of thing. I don't remember the answer to that particular riddle. There isn't an answer. It's just Lewis Carroll nonsense. Oh, it's well, Wonderland. Well, but all this stuff, it kind of, it keeps the formula fresh. So it's not boring in that two hours. And you can put your cock in both. <laughs> <laughs> that one's staying in <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, wow. a lot of those like spectrum classics that i've played a lot later in life i didn't own one as a kid they've all got kind of little in jokes silly irreverent humor a bit like this and because they are made by just a small team like most spectrum games had maybe one or two people working on the max they can delve into these sort of like in-jokes that were probably very funny for the developer to say what is Laser Cat's favourite food. Whereas everyone else is like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. It's like the sort of games we made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that sort of thing. I quite like that idea that it's just like someone's doing it for the fun of doing it. And the fact yeah. that it kind of made a passable game is just a nice afterthought, really. When I beat the game, I did a bit of digging to try and find if the developer had done much else because this was a long time ago. And although a lot of their work has been lost to the annals of time and the shuttered Xbox Live Indie Game Service, which went down years ago, there was a mini Halloween sequel to Laser Cat that you can get for free at itch.io that's still up. Oh, nice. And it's called Laser Cat's Halloween Dead Venture. And it's just a truncated take on the same Laser Cat formula with less rooms, less to do, but still a similar package. And it's good fun. It's a bit more woolly in its control and design. I think it uses a different game engine, so it's not quite as tight. And overall, across roughly a quarter as many rooms, you're now collecting just 13 keys, but still with quiz questions attached that are now horror or Halloween themed. You know, it's still got silly jokes, still got a lot of the stuff I really liked about the game, and it only takes about half an hour to beat. So it was a, a nice little, just not palette cleanser, because it was the same stuff. It was just palette extender, maybe. <laughs> That's the one. Like... <laughs> That's the one. The Laser Cat franchise has been dormant for well over a decade at this point, so I won't get my hopes up. But if the developer, someone called Daniel McFarline, is listening, which they're not, let's have a Laser Cat 3, yeah? Why not? The last game I've played this month is it's exactly what you might expect. And I know I've been banging out about it for many, many months. But yes, I finally played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. <laughs> That, that JD classic. Yeah. <laughs> Always banging on about those side scrollers. <laughs> For those of you listening thinking you hadn't heard me mention this game before, you're right. And I didn't foresee me playing it either, to be honest. But in a display of what can only be described as wanton procrastination, I found myself browsing my PS Plus library for games that might be a bit of a quick hit of distraction. And I had wanted to play this game, not enough to buy it, obviously, but yeah. I loved the Turtles cartoon when I was a kid, and I knew the game was essentially Streets of Rage with more anthropomorphized animals, yeah. but also made by the devs of Streets of Rage 4, which was a really good time. Honestly, this game, it just feels like a reskin of Streets of Rage 4. It, it feels exactly the same to play, and that's not a bad thing at all, because, yeah. like I said, it's a fun game. Like The lack of variety that you lose in not being able to pick up 
stuff around the levels to use as weapons like you do in Streets of Rage. That's sort of compensated here by just having a much wider variety of characters to choose to play as, who have all got obviously quite different weapons and attacks and stuff. I decided to play as Raphael, the red one, for uh, my playthrough because my he was favorite. my favourite character yeah. as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Raphael buddies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His twin sigh, double fork weapon, mean that you're suited for close quarters melee combat, which was fun. All the turtles are here, as you'd expect. And uh, Splinter, you can play as, and April, and Casey Jones. Oh. And what looks like more, I think, uh, I think some more have been added maybe in DLC. But the, the stages are really nicely designed, you know, sort of switches things up from the standard like on foot levels to vehicle based levels where you'll be on a hoverboard or something. And each of the levels ends with a boss fight, which is always quite fun. The art in this game is really, really good. All of the characters retain the design and detail of the original cartoon, but like instead of presenting it like a playable comic or like, you know, a playable cartoon, it's just gone all out for like that pixel art style. So it feels like this is the game that you would have played in the 90s alongside watching the cartoon, but with all of like the modern gameplay benefits of a game made in the 2020s. One of the nice things about this game is the way like your character levels up as you play as them and each level you go up unlocks something whether that's like increased health or a new special move or an extra power bar to trigger your special moves and and it means that like the replayability is there for the characters you've leveled up if you want to just go back through the levels and find all of the collectibles or complete all of the level specific challenges you know you can do that with your souped up turtle that you've got used to or if you want to start from scratch with a new character and enjoy the challenge all over again you can do that and there's three different difficulty settings to choose from at the start then you've got like the main story mode there's 16 levels and it's it's quite nice it's on a map sort of laid out like super mario world or super mario land 2 six gold coins no. dx and uh, then there's also an arcade mode as well if you want that retro experience where you have a limited amount of lives to complete the entire game in one sitting, which uh, it's, it's about two hours. But like I said, there's so much replayability. If, if you really enjoy the game and you really enjoy that sort of gameplay and you want to sort of 100% it, there's loads of content there. There's also co-op in there, which is like a six-player co-op, <laughs> which uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, apparently you can do that online as well. Uh, so I might have to try that out and see if it's as chaotic as it sounds. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't bought the DLC because that wasn't in my PS Plus subscription but apparently there's a a slew of extra levels available there which look to be optimised for for playing in co-op. But the game's just really fun and breezy. It's got a nice soundtrack as well. It's really good fun. It's got originally composed songs in that sort of 90s alt-rock style. It features members of Wu-Tang Clan and Faith No More like contributing to the soundtrack. Does it? Yep. I I found that out, obviously, after looking it up because I've never heard of any of these things. (laughs) This is the guy who made a Rick Wakeman reference earlier. (laughs) (laughs) But like the soundtrack's really, really great. And obviously it helps sell that authentic 90s experience even further. It's never going to be like my favourite style of game, but sometimes it is just nice to play this sort of game and might dip in another time for another go. Some point, maybe. Probably not though. But it was good. It's a good game. Shall I tell you about one more? I mentioned Milkstone earlier, the developers that like to copy other games. And I said that their Vampire Survivors claim didn't quite do it for me. But a game from their collective oeuvre that I am pretty into, and I've mentioned 
a while back, but I'm playing again, is called Farm Together. And I played it quite a bit on the Switch for a time. It's like a social farming game, but with none of the hardcore sim elements you get in a more serious game like the Ron Seal titled Farm Simulator series. Instead here, you're just planting crops, waiting real time for them to grow, harvest, rinse, repeat. It's very easy going. Breezy that you said about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the word here. It's extremely low demand and it's set up in such a way that you're going to make progress no matter how much or how little you play because you can do a bit, turn it off for a week, come back, you've still got stuff to harvest and do. It's just satisfying to complete little jobs, you know, to plant a nice ring of flowers around your wheat field or tend to some chickens. But more crucially than any of the specific in-game actions or rewards, and the reason I've enjoyed playing it recently, it's a game that is just good for letting your brain breathe for 20 minutes. Mm. And it requires just enough effort to take your mind off anything that might be bothering you or sat in the back of your head, but not enough effort to become a bother itself. And that's quite a fine line, I think, to walk with some games. Oh, absolutely. Work for me this time has been quite hard, much tougher than I'd imagined kind of coming out the summer. And rediscovering a game like this on the Steam Deck this time has given me just enough evening distraction to wind down a bit before bed. Nice. Even if I come home all riled up, it's like, well, I'll just... I just plant some crops and, and cut down some trees and then I'll be I'll be good to go to sleep. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in-game goals are never going to ask you more than just to harvest X amount of Y. Yeah. Revenue is generated in real time even when you're away from the keyboard, as it were. And almost every achievement in the game you could get with just attrition if you just want to take it yeah. easy. And it's soft, it's easygoing stuff. And on top of that, that it happens to have some nice chunky graphics and a calming soundtrack that's all kind of like acoustic guitars and things like that. It just rounds the edges even further to make a nice resistance-free experience. Yeah. And I think it's probably Milkstone's most assured game, you know, because instead of just copying another title wholesale, it's more like an amalgam of farming games, which kind of hit their peak a good few years ago now. You know, it draws from the kind of simulators du jour. It draws a bit from kind of mobile games and how they're paced. It draws a bit from social games, but with none of the kind of hassle or the learning curve or the predatory microtransactions. It's just doesn't have any of that so instead if you want to play actively you'll still make good progress and if you want to play sporadically mainly focusing on just idle tasks you're going to make progress too and i like it it's a nice time and it's kind of what i needed at the moment vampire survivors was essentially doing this job for me yeah very similarly when i kind of got to the point where i wasn't having to worry about losing a run anymore but with that kind of finished and not quite finding the replacement i wanted for that perfectly yet i think this is weirdly filled that gap quite nicely it does sound really really nice there's a game that's just recently come out called fey farm Mm, i saw that it looks really really nice and it looks like exactly the sort of thing i kind of want to sort of cozy up within the autumn months so yeah i can see myself getting that at some point because uh you just you need those games Mm. you need those games so there we go. That's what we've played in the last month. Uh, goodness me, it was at least seven games. <laughs> what we're we going to be playing in the next month? I don't know. There's some big games coming out in the next few weeks. To name two that are coming out on the same day: Spider-Man Two and Super Mario Wonder. Is it the same day? Yeah. I didn't realise. Well, I pre-ordered Mario. I didn't pre-order Spider-Man. <laughs> cannot wait. Cannot wait. Next month's episode is going to be our first port of call in our Around the World in 80 Days series. And we're going to be calling via my homeland, my half-homeland, Denmark. Cannot wait. Absolutely cannot wait. It's going to be brilliant. In the meantime, sign up to our newsletter and join the Discord. Links to both O3C.Games. You can check out the Patreon link there. You can find our social media links there. We're at O3C Games on pretty much everything. Follow us. 
join us, chat to us, whatever. All of that stuff. And we'll see you next month. Goodbye! <laughs>